Let's open the Word of God to John chapter 10, the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, well known by many as the chapter regarding Jesus Christ as the shepherd of the sheep. It should confound us to see the extent and sacrifice that men will give for false religion and in obedience to false teachers when we have the true teacher and the true founder of religion, the very Son of God. He's not an illiterate traitor in Saudi Arabia. He's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And what should we be willing to give him in line of Jerry's prayer for us? Let us be moved today by the shepherd of the sheep, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a man born blind in John chapter 9, and the man born blind loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did not love the scribes and the Pharisees, and he let them know it in his own way when he was confronted by them and on trial before them as to how he had gained his sight from that ninth chapter. Lord, bless us in these verses of John chapter 10. Let me read to you the first 18, and then we'll start into them. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers." This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were, which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Amen. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Amen. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep." And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, Amen. them also I must bring. Amen. And they shall hear my voice, 
and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Amen. Amen and amen. Wonderful words. The founder of our religion, the author and the finisher of our faith, the apostle and high priest of our profession, the bishop and shepherd of our souls, the chief cornerstone of the temple of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He knows his sheep. You should know him. He leads us, and we should all follow him as a church. I want you to emphasize the practical aspect of conversion and discipleship in these 18 verses. And let us not get distracted by looking for legal or vital aspects of our salvation as the primary theme, but rather the practical, because that's what it is. And let's keep in mind a man born blind. That man born blind did not follow the voice of strangers, did he? I want you to think about the context here. The next chapter is going to have three others. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Did they follow the voice of strangers? No. Did all four of these love the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him? Amen. Did they resist the Pharisees? Yes. Did the Pharisees want to kill them all? Right. Yes, along with the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a conspiracy in John chapter 11 by the Pharisees after a council to destroy both Jesus and Lazarus. Look at the chapter. Look at it, and I hope you're somewhat familiar with the 42 verses. Here is an outline of it. Verses 1 through 10, the parable of Jesus as the door of the sheepfold. Verses 11 through 18, the parable of Jesus as the good shepherd. He follows several different lines of reasoning in his metaphor. He is the door. He goes through the door as the true shepherd of the sheep. And he is the good shepherd for the way that he takes care of the sheep compared to hirelings. So you've got to be careful. There's really two parables here. The parable really extends all the way to verse 30 while Jesus deals with sheep. But he will get more specific and literal about his sheep in verses 26 through 30. Verses 19 through 24, those six verses describe a division among the Jews because of Jesus. And so he defends himself by one, verse 25, appealing to his works. If you look at verse 25, I told you and you believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. If you want to know whether I'm the Christ or not, look at my works. So he appeals to his works in verse 25. Then in verses 26 through 31, he appeals to election, that only the elect will truly know who he is. Then he appeals to the Bible use of the word God in verses 32 through 36. Then in verses 37 through 39, he appeals to his works again as manifesting him to be the Messiah. And when they reject him in verses 40 through 42, the last three verses, he leaves them, goes to another place, 
and there many believe on him. And he has come to the upstate of South Carolina, and many believe on him here. And let's make sure we believe on him, and believe on him yet more, and obey him yet more. I gave you important chapters to read last night for you to realize that the Bible condemns false prophets and false teachers rather clearly. Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34 in the Old Testament are very blunt, graphic, plain, and descriptive of God's condemnation of false teachers. And those were not Hindu priests. Those are the priests and prophets of God. And that's how God spoke of them. And nothing's changed in the New Testament. Jesus gave us the words of Matthew 23, recorded by Matthew, in which he condemned the scribes and the Pharisees for their hypocrisy and false religion, not only in teaching, but also in practice, personal and religiously. I hope you'll remember those passages of Scripture. Let me introduce this chapter to you, and I hope that I can make it plain. I am laboring under some measure of a burden to help you appreciate this chapter for what it actually is teaching and for us not to be distracted by wanting to draw salvation doctrine from some of the phrases, but rather to see the overall lesson. Verse 6 should tell us a lot, that when there's a parable, we don't want to get hung up on the details, we want the lesson. Please do that with me. The context of John 10 includes the healing of the blind man. All of John 9 was about that blind man, his faith, and the Pharisees' rejection of Jesus Christ. Full appreciation of chapter 10 requires you to remember chapter 9 for the controversy there and this one man that believed on Jesus and the religious leaders that did not and the religious leaders that tried every means at their disposal to discredit this one man and to discredit Jesus Christ. They are the thieves and the robbers. I mean, this chapter just starts right out with thieves and robbers. Who are they? I mean, all we have is a space of empty space on my page between chapter 9 and chapter 10. Where do the thieves and robbers come from? In verse 39 of chapter 9, the Pharisees in verse 40, are we blind also? (laughs) Amen. Amen, Amen, you're blind. And not only are you blind, you're thieves and robbers. And so that's what we have John 10 here for. John 10, by its context, and by the way it's presented, is not Jesus sitting down with his apostles explaining to them the fine points of salvation. Okay? He's presenting himself as the pure prophet, the pure priest, the pure bishop of our souls and how much we can trust him and follow him and what kind of a relationship he has with us and us with him and how different it is from false religious leaders which make up the vast majority of all religious leaders. There's only one like him and that's he himself. And there's very few, like Paul and like Timothy, as I wrote you yesterday in our preparation. The purpose of John 10 is to condemn the Pharisees and false shepherds by comparing them to Jesus Christ as he defends himself as being far superior to them. 
It warned false teachers by a rebuke, and it comforts his sheep to see the great difference between him and them. Most religious men in history, some in the church of God, have been God's enemies. It is a comforting lesson to see the superiority of Jesus to most religious men in history. Religious frauds and liars have led so many astray, but the bishop of our souls is perfect. The founder of our religion is perfect. That is what Jesus is presenting. The purpose that John gave his gospel is that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing we might have life through his name. He's the head of our church and the head of our religion. He's our Lord and he's our Savior. And he's defending himself in this particular chapter by comparing himself to other kinds of religious leaders. They're thieves and robbers. They're hirelings. They sneak into the sheepfold. He comes through the door. I'll explain these things in a moment. He's different. They're hirelings. They see a wolf. Their minimum wage job doesn't pay them enough. They run up a tree. Wolves have difficulty climbing trees. They flee. The sheep are scattered. But the Lord Jesus Christ will lay his life down to defend his sheep. And he defends his sheep against an enemy you can't even imagine. And we're going to get to that in just a little while. Because the Lord Jesus Christ not only destroyed the works of the devil, one of his lesser enemies, the great enemy was the justice of Almighty God coming after to claim the lives of the sheep. And he defended us against God by laying down his life in our place. This is the founder of our religion. This is the one you can go to. Follow him. He's calling you today by his gospel. Let's run after him. He wants to show us pasture, still waters, green pastures, and to have an abundant life, spiritually first, and then way down the road, maybe, other blessings. But to be spiritually feeding on him and his gospel. Religious frauds and liars have led so many astray, as I've said, but the bishop of our souls is perfect. The thieves, robbers, and hirelings here are the scribes and Pharisees of the Old Testament church that was just about to end its existence. It is a doctrinal treatise on the work of the ministry and the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. That's what we get in these verses. If not careful, we will leave the context and wander into details that will distract us from the loving nature of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our pastor. The Bible doesn't call him our pastor directly. It calls him the bishop of our souls. But he is the chief pastor. He is the chief shepherd. He is the chief bishop. And every other shepherd, bishop, or pastor is an under-shepherd, bishop, or pastor less than him, and they better be trying to follow his example because he gives us an example of what kind of a pastor to be. The parable of John 10 extends from verse 1 all the way to verse 30, really, but specifically and most clearly to verse 18, which is what I just read. We know it's a parable because John explains it as such in verse 6, and we thank the Lord for that. We know that we should avoid stressing details, lest we miss the more valuable lesson. Parables are extended proverbs and riddles. They're not clear speech. 
So do not force it literally to your own liking. The parable of the Good Samaritan and all of its details of the Samaritan passing on his business trip and seeing a wounded Jew and putting him on his ass and binding up his wounds and pouring in oil and wine and taking him to an inn and giving two pence for the innkeeper to keep him in the inn and promising the, promising the innkeeper that he would come back and pay whatever other costs were incurred in the recovery of this man. All those details, all those details are not to be pursued. There is one lesson from all those details. Who is my neighbor? A lawyer questioned Jesus, wanting to limit the second commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The lawyer, and lawyers are good at this, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells that long parable of the Good Samaritan in order to teach who is my neighbor. It's someone God puts in your path, though they may be a cultural enemy of the Jews and the Samaritans were cultural enemies. If God puts them in your path, then do what you can for him. That is loving your neighbor. But when we start to wander down that parable and start to think that the two pence might be the Old and the New Testament and the innkeeper is the pastor of a church and the inn is a church, we have just disappeared into oblivion. Because how will we prove any of that? Someone else might come up with a better fantasy or fairy tale. That isn't what we do. Let me give you another one. How about the parable of the sower? We don't want to go into the parable of the sower and try to figure out which ground is born again and which ground is not born again. The truth is, we have all been all four kinds of ground at different times in our lives. And the, the point of the lesson is how to hear. That's what the whole thing was told for. Jesus concluded the whole thing in Luke 8 and verse 18. Take heed therefore, based on that story I just gave you of four kinds of ground, take heed therefore how ye hear. Amen. That's the lesson. And if you get caught up in, well, stony ground and thorny ground, let's, let me spend a few minutes and teach you about thorns. Why? You all know enough about thorns to understand that they can choke out the plant so that it doesn't bear fruit to perfection. And here, you know enough about shepherds and sheep and a sheepfold, and that's all you really need to know, that Jesus is the true shepherd. He goes through the front door. He has authority to be the shepherd. He cares for every one of the sheep. He calls them by name. They know him. He leads them out like the man born blind, like Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, they follow him. He's willing to lay down his life for them. He is nothing like the pastors and preachers, teachers and scribes, and the Pharisees of the Jews' religion. They were in it for themselves. They made their prayers to devour widows' houses. They were in it for money. You read about it in Jeremiah 23. It had been a perpetual problem with the Jews. You read about it in Ezekiel 34. Jesus preached against it in Matthew 23. Here, he's using a parable to show his superiority to them. And what a pastor we have. Amen. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my pastor, just like he's your pastor. Right. Let's remember that parable. 
Thieves and robbers are false teachers. The wolf is one of the false teachers or any other threat. Look past Satan. Don't try to get too sneaky and too specific with a wolf. What is a wolf? Should, we, should, I, should I give you five or ten minutes about wolves? Should I tell you that in Michigan they breed them with German shepherds to get a German wolf? What should I do with wolves? It is a threat to the sheep. You don't have to worry about it. Just like the ass that the good Samaritan put the wounded Jew on his ass, should we worry about that ass? What is the ass? Who is the ass? Is it an Old Testament ass or a New Testament ass? Is it a male ass, an ordained ass, or an unordained ass? Is it a licensed preacher of the gospel or an ordained preacher of the gospel? Just a warning. I don't want us to be led astray. Jesus is God in the flesh, Emmanuel. He is also the man Christ Jesus, filling and fulfilling every office necessary for our legal redemption and practical protection. He is the apostle and high priest, shepherd and bishop and master of our religion. The doctrine of John 10 is primarily contained in verses 19 through 42. He defended himself by his works, which were proof that he was the son of God. He established election as to why only some believed on him. He's going to explain why only some believe on him. Only some know his voice. Only some follow him. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My father, which gave them me. He's going to explain. The doctrine comes up later. Right now, it is a parable to show his superiority to the Jewish religious leaders. Then he'll defend himself in a wonderful way by the words of God. As you told us, David depended on the words of God, Jesus depended on the words of God, and Jesus depended on one word of God. God's. He called them God's. And Jesus said, Scripture cannot be broken. That word they used in the Old Testament is the proper word. And he built a doctrinal argument from it. And it's one of our... Yes. It's one of our one-word arguments that we have in the Bible. The danger of John 10 is to forget that it's a parable and to try to seek meaning in details. We're going to reject soteriological details. Soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. Theology, theo-science, is the doctrine of God. Soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. We are not going to go into this parable. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Blessed God for telling me in verse 6 it's a parable. Right. We're not going to go in there and try to work up eight proofs of unconditional salvation or six phases. We're going to go into it and see that this is the kind of a religious leader we want. He's perfect. And he's very unlike the imposters and the frauds and the thieves and the rapacious Pharisees that were greedy for financial gain and the praise of men. Lord, save us from this danger. The general lesson is to condemn Pharisees and to exalt Jesus as far superior to any of them. It doesn't matter what other religion that you want me to draw forth as an example and a comparison, the head of what other religion would you want to go to like Jesus Christ? The head of any other religion has never done for his people what Jesus Christ did for his. Joseph Smith 
embark on a trip from western New York to go to Utah, which was Canaan and the promised land to them. He didn't make it that far because the men of Missouri stopped him. But he tried. Do you think you could even get an audience with him? There's an apostle in Greenville. He calls himself an apostle. But to join that church, you sign a statement that you will never get to talk to the apostle. That's part of the arrangement. Jesus is always available for you. Jesus is standing at your door, knocking of this church and any church, and if any man will hear and open the door, he will come in and sup with him, and that man with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is quite a shepherd. The shepherd is a metaphor. The shepherd is a parable, but it's describing that tender relationship between sheep and shepherd. I sent you some links a year or two ago that demonstrated how a stranger could come up to a flock of sheep and call them by any name they wanted to try, and the sheep would not even raise their heads from the grass. Do some of you remember those videos? Then we went and visited a local sheep farm that is only two or three miles from our building here. And yet when the shepherd came by, all he has to do is speak a word or two. His sheep get right up and follow him. The others will not come because he's a stranger to them. But his sheep will follow him. And so we have that kind of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our shepherd. He is leading us by his word and by his under shepherd. He has put us together in this sheepfold right here. And we want to follow him. And we want to nestle up against each other as we follow our shepherd. And he leads us into green pastures and beside still waters. That's what we want to see. This is a defense of Jesus of himself, by Jesus of himself, and rightful authority he and true ministers have. Let's see the Lord Jesus Christ personally, intimately, devotedly, passionately, as our shepherd for time and eternity. It's all here. Pastors should be the most compassionate and caring men. But Pharisees and many others like them prove the opposite. But Jesus is the great and good shepherd in comparison. Is Jesus always compassionate and kind? Not a chance. What does Jesus do to wolves? What does Jesus do to wolves in sheep's clothing? What does Jesus do to sheep that deserve to be taken to market and butchered? He does it all. You say, where does he butcher sheep? The church at Corinth. It was time for them to go to market. So don't try to turn Jesus into some long-haired hermaphrodite. Don't try to turn Jesus into John Lennon. Don't try to turn Jesus into feeding candy to sheep. Jesus was the one that preached Matthew chapter 23 that you read last night, and that is how he talked about the religious ministerial association of his day. And we need to remember that. We want the full, rounded Lord Jesus Christ. He does not play games with sheep. If he needs to break a sheep's leg to keep that sheep in with the rest of the flock, instead of running wild, he'll do it. And if he needs to butcher it ahead of time, for some lamb, 
Because you got to kill a sheep ahead of time to get lamb, right? Does that make sense to you? Do we need to get into that kind of distinctions? A lamb is a yearling or less of a sheep. Let's remember the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his ministry. God's men are strict and authoritative like Jesus and Paul were to enemies and to the carnally minded. The apostle Paul would call them belly worshipers. Yet, to that saint, to that church at Corinth, Paul said, I will spend and be spent, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. He was a great pastor of that church. God's men do not compromise with sin or coddle sinners, as Matthew 23 and the rest of the New Testament should show. Verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Verily, verily, occurs 25 times in this Gospel of John, and it doesn't occur anywhere else in the Bible. It's the Lord Jesus Christ drawing attention to something important that he's about to say. The last words that we have penned by our brother John were the last verses of John chapter 9 in which the man born blind is now seeing and the Pharisees that were born seeing are blind. And that, that distinction we have in the last three verses of John chapter 9 and Jesus now expands on that with a parable about a shepherd and a door and a sheepfold and sheep. The sheepfold is the church of either testament. And the shepherds are either legitimate shepherds that have the right to the flock by going through the door, or they are thieves and robbers that creep into that flock by some other means to take advantage of the flock. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door. The shepherd goes through the door because he's authorized. He has the key. He has the lock. The porter knows him. The porter lets him in. We are not going to get hung up on who the porter is. Could the porter be God, the Father? Could the porter be God, the Holy Spirit, that assists and blesses the ministry of Jesus Christ? And God the Father did bless the ministry of his Son, And God the Holy Spirit did bless the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. But that isn't important. It's the lesson. We have a door. Jesus is going to say, I am the door of the sheepfold. But Jesus is also going to go through the door. And Jesus is also going to be the good shepherd that goes through the door. The rightful shepherd. As we look at these words here, and we look at thieves and robbers, they sneak in another way. They do not have authority from God. They do not have the rightful access to the sheepfold. They are in there doing things outside of God's will. They are in there doing things outside of the content of Bible doctrine. They do not have a right to the sheep. Jesus Christ has a right to the sheep. These Pharisees that chapter 9 was taken up with, do you want to back up another chapter? Do you want to back up to John chapter 8? What happened in that chapter? Did we have scribes and Pharisees bring a woman taken in adultery to the Lord Jesus Christ, wanting to stone her in order to condemn the Lord Jesus? That's the kind of teachers they were. They didn't care about the woman. They didn't care about righteousness. They were violating protocol. They were violating the law of Moses, and they wanted to get the Lord Jesus Christ. But here he is explaining 
that he comes in by the door. He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. So we've got in our minds a sheepfold where the sheep are protected. And it's got a wall around it big enough for them not to be able to jump out and to keep most enemies out as well. But it's got a door. And so the only one that can get through the door in order to protect those sheep from thieves and robbers is someone with the key or if it is holding several flocks, oh, it is sweet. When a sheepfold has more than one flock in it, the one shepherd can come to that door and call his own sheep by name and lead them on out. And the other sheep will stay there because they don't know the voice of a stranger. Well, the man born blind, though, the man born blind knew. Do you remember John 9? He did not put up with those Pharisees. Their voice did not comfort him at all. Why, this is a marvelous thing that you shepherds don't even know this man who made my, made my blind eyes see. You don't even know whence he is. In the history of the world, no one's ever done anything. Do you remember? Yes. He heard the voice of Jesus. And later, when Jesus found him for the second time, do you believe in the Son of God? The man born blind said, Lord, who is he that I might believe on him? Well, he's speaking to you. And he worshiped him. What caused that difference? It's the Lord that causes the difference. But Jesus is a very different kind of a shepherd. And so verse 1, it's a parable. I am not going to do hours of research about sheepfolds and doors and porters. Porters open doors. And if you even know what the word porter means in English today, a porter opens a door and lets the sheep out or lets the shepherd in because he recognizes the shepherd as having legitimate authority and ownership of the sheep. And so in verse 1, and I don't want to oversimplify, I have begged God my Father and God the Holy Spirit that wrote this book to lead us exactly where we should go in understanding these verses. We don't want to see things in these verses that God didn't intend, and we want to see everything God did intend. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. There was and will be, in this chapter, a division among the Jews. There was a division among the Jews. Some followed Jesus Christ, some did not. What made the difference? The Lord had made the difference. But Jesus was the shepherd. He was defending his sheep that were following him by telling them, I know those other religious leaders in Israel right now, they're thieves and robbers. They do not have your best interests at heart. And first of all, they did not go through the door. They sneak in some other way. Let's think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Was there a door to the church of God when Jesus came on the scene? Was there a door? 
had that door already been opened by a man named John the Baptist, the sheepfold of God, the sheep of God, the church of God, did a new pastor arise as soon as we opened the pages of the New Testament that was, the, that was a porter. His name was John the Baptist. Do you know what he said? What does the Bible say about him, first of all? This, this writer, John 1 and verses 5 and 6. There was a man sent from God. Oh yes, that's the door to the sheepfold. It's doing it God's way, with God's authority, by God's ordination. John the Baptist was a man sent from God. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And so John the Baptist's point, purpose was to point out that Jesus Christ, is he also the Lamb of God? Just wait to the Lord's Supper. Behold the Lamb of God, who was also the shepherd of God, and the shepherd of his sheep, because we've got multiple parables and multiple metaphors at play in the New Testament, and we want every one. Is Jesus the Lamb also the Lion, as our brother prayed twice in his prayer? Right. Is Jesus the Shepherd also a Lion? Yep. Do lions tenderly take care of sheep? Well, not really, but he's also a Shepherd, and he's also a Lamb. Remember all these things. Because they all show us different aspects. Is our salvation justification or adoption? Yes. yes. Both. Is it redemption and propiti- or propitiation? Uh-huh. Yes. Is it all those things? Right. Those are the facets of salvation. If you had a diamond that had but one facet, how much does he love you? Oh, a diamond with one facet? What kind of a stone would it be? And salvation has multiple facets, as the Bible describes our salvation under different terms. And our Lord Jesus Christ has more than one facet. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lamb of God, and He is the great Shepherd of the sheep. And through the blood of the everlasting covenant, He saved them. And so in these five verses, we have a description of a sheepfold with sheep in it. And there are some trying to sneak into it by avoiding the rightful authority that the good shepherd has. Now Jesus is going to say, he is the door, and Jesus is also the shepherd that goes through the door. Because John pointed out that Jesus was a ministry sent from God. When he was baptized, the heavens opened, and God thundered down from heaven, this is my beloved son. On the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. He had divine authority for a divine mission. And he gave divine authority and a divine mission to 12 other men who were under shepherds under him. And that is what we want to see here in these five verses. But there were thieves and robbers that were ministers of a different sort that did not have a call from God to be engaged in what they were doing with the sheep. And the sheep did not like them, did not understand their voice, and were disappointed with them. Look at Ezekiel 13, and I want to share a verse with you that God, our Father, lit me up with 40 years ago. 40 years ago. 
And do not, I don't want to get off into Ezekiel 13. Ezekiel 13, but I want to share one verse with you about the sheep hearing the voice of Christ, hearing the gospel. When we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we preach Jesus Christ crucified, we always triumph. Some rejoice, others leave. Should it surprise us? It's what we were told would happen. Paul said we always triumph when we preach Christ. To the one, we're the savour of life unto life. To the other, we're the savour of death unto death. That's how we know if a person is born again or not. How do they respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so we preach Christ. The shepherd calls them by the preaching of his word. Ezekiel 13, let me share this verse with you about false teachers. Verse 22, because with lies, ye, Ezekiel 13, 22, because with lies ye have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and strengthened the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. Therefore ye shall see no more vanity, nor divine divinations, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. That is God saying, you false teachers, you've made the heart of the righteous sad, I did not make them sad. And you have strengthened the hands of the wicked by being mealy-mouthed, milk-toast, compromising pastors, instead of warring against your hearers like you're supposed to, by promising them life. And isn't that true of Arminian preaching today? It promises life to those that will make a little decision for Jesus, but don't have a changed life. I love this verse, describing a false ministry and comparing it to a true ministry. But along comes the Lord Jesus Christ, and he preaches. And when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, it causes our hearts, our sheep hearts, our sheep hearts to rejoice. and we hear the full message of Jesus Christ, does it strengthen us in doing wickedly? No, because that same shepherd said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So there's no promise of eternal life without the evidence of obedience. And so Jesus Christ fulfills the true ministry. And this is an example of a false ministry. And so these men climb up, and for real sheep, they're never satisfied. Real sheep are not satisfied listening to the lies of false teachers. They are disappointed, they are frustrated, they are not happy. Because the glorious, victorious gospel of Jesus Christ is neutered, is disguised, is corrupted by false teachers. Back to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, Lord, help Help these people to understand these things as we simply go over them. We've looked at these five verses together, and it's not because I'm not wanting to, I'm wanting to cheat. It's because I don't want you to get hung up on the details. I want you to see the picture of a locked-up, walled-in pen of sheep. And the, it's the church of God. It's not the Hindus, and it's not the Egyptians. 
It's the church of God. And there's Pharisees and there's scribes and there's Herodians and there's Sadducees with false doctrine and, and, and ambitions to make themselves rich off the people of God and to build themselves a following that are trying to sneak into that sheepfold all different ways. But there is a shepherd that comes to the door and to him the porter opens because he owns the sheep. They are his. He is theirs. They know him. He knows them. He's given authority and he goes through the door. And the door is the rightful authority of ministry. John the Baptist had it. Jesus had it. And the apostles had it. And their ministry was totally different from Pharisees born into it. And their authority was very limited. They ignored the Messiah. They weren't even looking for him. They wanted to kill the Messiah. They were trying to sneak in by all sorts of different ways. Matthew chapter 23 described it if you read it. For a pretense, they make long prayers. But why did they make long prayers for a pretense? Praying a long prayer is kind of a boring activity. Just faking it. Why would you do it? It tells us to devour widows' houses. They want to take advantage of vulnerable single women and take their money. But a real shepherd doesn't want to do that. A real shepherd wants to protect the widow's money. And so we do as a church. Do you know that about our church? Or do I need to have a little business meeting with you in the second service to tell you how we do it? And to tell you how onerous I have to be at times. We're not going to take from widows. We're going to do the opposite. We're going to protect widows. Thank you, Lord, for John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. You look at any one of these points, and it is contrasting Jesus as being the lawful shepherd of the sheep with a divine mission from God. Jesus would say in John 6, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. These men that are crawling in all the way around the sheepfold, not going through the door, they can't say that. They're the opposite of that. I came from town, not to do the will of God, but to do my own will. And I want to see what kind of a following I can get by crawling into this sheepfold and see how many of them will follow me. And so there were some Jews that silently stood by while the man born blind was accused by the Pharisees. The parents were afraid to defend their son, but the son wasn't afraid because he knew the voice of Jesus and he had been exposed to the voice of Jesus very little, but he knew the voice. And as soon as Jesus said, I am the son of God, he worshiped him. And when, for a born again child of God, when they hear the gospel, it should ordinarily be enough because they hear the truth and they say, that's the truth. Do you remember the first time we heard it? That's the truth. Right. It's like a puzzle. Thank you for putting the pieces together for me. Amen. Isn't, that, isn't that how we responded? Right. And the voice of Christ came to us. And so we got up and we went out. And we followed him into pasture. When I have Wi-Fi. Building committee. When I have Wi-Fi, if I were to pop Joel Osteen up for a minute... I know you'd come and lynch me, but if I were to pop him up for a minute, how much would he comfort you? You would be, dis you would be disturbed and upset.
because you would know what, what is coming out of his mouth is not the gospel. Right. It's never been the gospel. No. He doesn't even know what the gospel is. I know that's, that's kind of extreme, but he is America's pastor. How did he crawl in? He crawled in through knowing audiovisual presentation better than anyone in America because he was in charge of the AV productions of that church when his father, John Osteen, was the pastor of it. And his dad in his deathbed told him to take the ministry. He had never preached, never spoken, or never studied except to study AV productions. And is he good at it? He is good at it. But what about preaching? You know, and there's poor people that listen to that, and it doesn't satisfy them. For by your lies, you've made the heart of the righteous sad that I didn't make sad. And you've strengthened the hands of the wicked that they don't turn from their wicked way by promising them life. He never preaches repentance. He never preaches that people need to change. He will never address his congregation and tell anyone in there that's a sodomite that they need to repent and, and get over it or those living together, that they need to immediately, this day, end their relationship and no longer live together. He doesn't ever do that. But along comes the Lord Jesus Christ, and the sheep of Jesus Christ love the comforting message that Jesus paid it all. And the comforting message, you can't play around with real religion and the real God of heaven. You need to obey Him. They're both part of the truth. And we rejoice at both kinds, don't we? We want to hear both. We want to hear Jesus paid it all, as he's going to tell us about laying down his life, and we want to hear about obeying him. Verse 6, This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. I don't fault them. It's obscure. But we've made a comparison by context, and we've made a comparison that there are thieves and robbers mentioned, and there's a sheepfold mentioned, and it's taking advantage of sheep. And we've got Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, Matthew chapter 23. And we see that there's connections here. And so we understand it as being ministerial authority. Jesus had it. They didn't. Jesus came from God. Jesus was God's ambassador to them. Verse 7, then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. All that came before him was John the Baptist, a thief and a robber. No. Do you realize that that the words all in the Bible are generally used with a restricted sense? The word all, if we make the word all to mean all the way Arminians want the word all to mean, all means all, and that's all all means, they like to say then we've got John the Baptist being a thief and a robber. But John the Baptist wasn't a thief and a robber. John the Baptist came before Jesus. Jesus is talking about the religious ministerial association that was in authority right then in Israel before him and the false prophets that came before him. And we have to understand it that way because he calls them thieves and robbers. And I love the Lord Jesus Christ that will call the ministerial association thieves and robbers. Though they were educated more than he was, though they were richer than he was, though they wore finer suits in public than he did, they had all the advantages that is common among ministry today, yet Jesus called them thieves and robbers. All that ever came before me, 
I am the difference. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the one from God. They are all false. Anyone claiming to be Christ. Do you know how many times in Matthew 24, Jesus warned that many will say they are Christ? For false, many false Christs will arise. There's a Thutis in Acts chapter 3 mentioned that led men astray. And others throughout the pages of the New Testament that had followings of their own. But here's the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the door of the sheep. So he went through the door because he is the rightful shepherd. And he's the door by giving right to the sheep to those under him. Okay? All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. From a ministerial standpoint, from a sheep standpoint, if you'll fall upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he will provide a place for you in the sheepfold of God. He will show you pasture. He will show you waters. He will bring you the abundant life. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, especially ministerially. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Amen. There are two ministries at stake right here in Israel as Jesus appeals to the people. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I have something important I want to say. He says it in verse 1. He says it in verse 7. Verily, verily, I say unto you, there are two ministries competing for the sheep of God in this country at this moment. There are thieves and robbers. He's going to get to hirelings next. Not yet. There are thieves and robbers, and there is one with divine authority from God that has a right to the sheep. He knows the sheep. The sheep know him. He leads them out. He gives them life. He gives them abundant life. These other shepherds that come, they are thieves and robbers. They want the abundant life for themselves, and they want to take the life from the sheep. And you read about those in Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. This is the lesson. What kind of a shepherd do we have? We have the perfect shepherd, the perfect bishop, the perfect pastor. He cares for each one of us. He did not approach outside the door of the porter. He had divine authority. He was God's son. He was by virgin birth. At the age of 12, he could confound the doctors of the law who had spent their time fleecing the flock rather than studying the word of God by the blessing of the Holy Spirit. The difference in these ministries is enormous. One is the founder of our religion. One is our bishop and our pastor. And the others are frauds, false, thieves, and robbers. They come to kill. They come to destroy. And that's the effect they have on people, souls, and families. And there are others, the true shepherds, the under-shepherds of Jesus Christ, that come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. A true preacher like Jesus Christ, like the Apostle Paul, like Timothy, like those that Timothy ordained, like those that those men ordained by Timothy ordained, those men will preach the truth. The sheep of Jesus Christ generally love the message of the finished work of salvation by Jesus Christ, and they love the message of practical obedience and how to make your calling and election sure. There are others that don't want to heed it, that want to do things their own way and their lives are a mess for it because they don't want to submit themselves to the shepherd and his voice. And so they go running off. If they're his, he'll chasten them. If they're not his, he'll let them go because they're reprobates. 
His chastening could even include death. Like at Corinth. Like with Ananias and Sapphira. He's that serious about following him. Because he wants a united flock of sheep. He wants a sheepfold that's in unity. And that's what we want as a church. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our perfect pastor. You can call upon him and he'll come to you. In fact, he's already come to you. And let me use the verse again. It's Revelation 3.20. He stands at the door and knocks. He's already there. If any man will hear his voice and open the door, he's calling to you right now. The great shepherd of the sheep is yours, and he's totally different from every other religious leader in the history of the world. He came by divine authority, and anyone that is truly his under-shepherd is by divine authority. John, apostles, Paul, born out of due season, ordained Timothy, ordained others, ministerial succession of shepherds with a true call of Jesus Christ to preach his word to his people and to press that word on them, to tell them that Jesus Christ has finished the work of our legal salvation. The Holy Spirit has wrought the vital work of our salvation, but we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling in the practical phase of salvation. And then he leads us beside still waters and green pastures, and we have life and we have it more abundantly. You can look at that in any aspect of life that you want to, whether it's the eternal phase, legal phase, vital phase, but especially the practical phase, because it is set in distinction and opposition to thieves and robbers coming to kill and to destroy. And thieves and robbers cannot touch our eternal destiny. Thieves and robbers can only touch our practical benefits of the gospel. And so if you see that, you see in the first 10 verses, what a shepherd we have. No wonder the man born blind worshiped Jesus with just a few sentences of exchange and would not listen to the Pharisees. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.